0: Welcome to Killer Queens, or welcome back. Um, you know, just to put it out there, if you've never been here before, hey. Oh, happy fall, y'all. Oh, yeah. It's totally fall. Yes. Um, but if you've never been here before, just so you know, this is a discussion-based podcast. We are not... A forensic files we are not a sword and scale we are not a crime junkie we if you want to feel like you are literally sitting around having a conversation with your best friends about a case and maybe you quote friends you know or other obscure shows maybe in movies yeah 90s related yeah, then this is gonna be your jam. If you if you want something like super duper serious and like documentary esque, yeah, then it's probably not gonna be your jam. So we just like to let people know what we are and what we're not, so that you're not surprised. We don't want to waste your time. So or disappointed. Yeah. 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 Because so you are quite the disappointment. Well. Well. Okay. I just had to say it. Sorry. Yeah. Well. Let's just get that out of the way, then, <laughs> and um, and also Tori's a bitch. <laughs> but here we are. Here we are. We can't change these things. So, all right. Without further ado, we'll get into it. Cool. So today we're going to cover the murder of Jaren Lockhart. Special thanks to Olivia Vicelio And girl, if I fuck that up, I'm so sorry. Um, but she researched and wrote this episode. So definitely special thanks to her for doing that. And we'll go ahead and now get into it. Around 5 to 530 am on June 6, 2012, Jeremy Foster woke up and became worried when he realized that his loving girlfriend, Jaren Lockhart had not made it home from working her shift as a dancer at Temptations Gentlemen's Club in the French Quarter of New Orleans. On weeknights, she usually returned home from work between like 3 and 6 a.m., depending on how her shift went. Jeremy didn't have a cell phone at the time, so he tried to call her from a payphone around the corner, but her phone kept going straight to voicemail. Not hearing from her was not normal, so he reached out to a few friends who reassured him that she was probably fine and would just be home soon. He was still feeling uneasy, but he decided to go back to their room and go back to sleep. When he woke up again around 9 a.m. and discovered that Jaron still had not come home, he knew something was really, really wrong. He started calling family members, including his aunt, who was a New Orleans police officer at the time. As we hear so many times from law enforcement and adult missing persons cases, his aunt told him the same thing. Nothing can be done until she's been missing for at least 24 hours. So, again, he tried calling Jaren multiple times, but her phone was still going straight to voicemail. He reached out to several of her co-workers as well. He officially filed a missing persons report the following morning, and while Jeremy was frantically trying to find Jaren... Two people that were thought to be Jaren's quote unquote friends were busy covering up her murder and dismemberment. Jaren Lockhart was born on February 28, 1989, in Independence, Louisiana, to Donna Lockhart and her father, Pete Singer. She had two brothers, Nick Swain and Lance David Lockhart, and three sisters, Nikki, Andrea, and Alyssa Swain. She had a rough upbringing as a child with an unstable home life, living in multiple homes throughout her childhood, but loved ones and friends described her as someone who never met a stranger. She had a bubbly personality, and she would have given anyone the shirt off her back. And all the pictures they showed, um, we watched a Snapped Killer couples on this. It was, I think you can only get it on what Amazon Prime and... Voodoo, I think you can buy it. Um, season 9, I think. It was season 9, episode 7. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and they showed a lot of pictures of her, and she just, she was just such a pretty girl. and yeah, she looked very, very sweet. Yeah, and like cute pictures of her and her daughter, and just so sad. At the time of this case, Jaren was only 22 years old and living with her boyfriend and the father of her child, Jeremy Foster. And they were living in a motel off Tulane Avenue in New Orleans, and they had a three-year-old daughter, Riley. She was staying with a grandmother at the time. According to Jeremy, they were both struggling with an addiction to heroin, but a close friend and her father had recently been able to talk her into getting treatment at a local facility, and Jaron had dreams of working toward a cosmetology license. She was really into doing her hair and makeup, and she really wanted to go and get a, a cosmetology license. So the timeline of events in this case, Jaron was last seen alive on video surveillance from Temptations Gentlemen's Club on June 6, 2012, leaving with a couple a little after 2 a.m. So the couple was later identified as 39-year-old Terry Speaks, and 28-year-old Margaret Sanchez. And they'd been visiting multiple clubs throughout the night, propositioning dancers to leave with them to perform for a private party in exchange for cash. Next door to Temptations is another club called Stilettos. So Lacey Dillman was working there that night and was approached by the couple around 1.30 a.m. She said that they asked if she would leave with them for this private party for 700 bucks. And Margaret Sanchez said something really weird. She said they had to find a girl or else something bad would happen. To which Lacey replied that she couldn't leave her shift. As weird as this all is, these people actually knew this couple or were at least familiar with them because Terry had previously been a doorman at the clubs and Margaret had been a dancer as well. Regardless of this, Lacey still felt super uncomfortable by their request and was understandably creeped out. What, like... That's already a dangerous proposition, right? Like, leaving the club to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, you never know what can happen. Like, you leave the safety of, like, the bouncers and everything there. Well, and with relative strangers. Yeah. And then they're just like, yeah, and if you don't come with us, something bad's gonna happen? Like, okay, let me jump in the car real quick. Right. That doesn't sound suspicious or creepy or... Yeah. They're a bunch of fucking weirdos, these two. Nicole Lowe, who was another dancer at Temptations, was the next girl to be propositioned, and she also declined. Then she watched as Terry and Margaret approached Jaren, who was currently performing on stage. When she finished with her performance, Jaren went into the locker room to change her clothes and grab her bag to leave. According to several of Jaren's coworkers, Jaren stated that she was leaving with the couple to do a private party to make some quick cash because the tips that night were bad and she needed the money. Several coworkers witnessed her leaving the club with the couple, including the doorman, whose statement we'll discuss later. According to Jaren's friends and coworkers, Jaren would never leave with random people and put herself in immediate danger because she had a young daughter. She had never been known to leave with anyone before for a private party or sex or anything like that. Jaron had known Terry and Margaret for several years from work and in the social circles. And if she did leave with them, it's it's likely that her thought process was that it's already 2 in the morning so performing at this party shouldn't take too long and then I can go home. I know these people. Yeah, you she know. felt safe enough to do it. Yeah, I mean, one of like... them was a doorman, so like he is he's one who's like protects them, you know? It's it feels safer that way, instead of just like maybe some guy that comes into the club on a regular basis. Like you don't know what they do on their own time. I mean I guess you don't know what a doorman does on his own time either, but But you would trust them more. Yeah, because they're supposed to keep you safe anyway. You know, if if shit goes down at this party, I know he's a doorman. He'll, he'll have my back kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. When they left Temptations, the three were witnessed going in and out of the stilettos club next door. And then security cameras showed the three walking down the streets of the French Quarter. Then footage from traffic cameras and other surveillance showed the three getting into Margaret Sanchez's... Sanchez's... 2001 Green Chevy Lumina, and traveling on the interstate towards the couple's home in Kenner, which was located about a mile or so from the New Orleans airport. That's about a 20-minute drive, which would put them at the house around 2.40 or so. Later on that same morning, around 10.40 a.m., Terry brings Margaret to her bartending shift at Temptation Isle Tavern in the French Quarter, which is backed up by her co-worker's statement. Then surveillance captured Margaret's car traveling on the interstate later that night at 8.43 p.m. and 9.34 p.m., this time heading toward Mississippi, then heading back toward Kenner from Mississippi at 11.51 p.m. So this timeline would suggest that Jaron was in the couple's home for about seven hours before they left, enduring things that we can only imagine in our nightmares before they dismembered her and left to dispose of her body. On June 7th, 2012, Detective Steve Saucier. It looks like Saucier, but I feel like in New Orleans, we're going to go with the Saucier. May, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you, uh, Olivia will get that, I guess. she will. She lives in Louisiana. (laughs) Or anyone in Louisiana, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We, uh, are, uh. Mom's side of the family is Cajun, so we know we know a little about this stuff. We do know quite a few cuss words in Cajun. Yeah, that's pretty much all we know. Detective Saucier with the Hancock County Sheriff's Office. This is I feel like that's one of those names that like somebody is gonna send a message and be like, You dumb bitch, it's it's so much easier than that. Like I always <laughs> yeah. go like really over the top with But names. if you didn't know, how would you pronounce like Boudreaux? You know what I mean? Oh yeah, Thibodeau, right? People, yeah, we got it. It's fine. And also, maybe he's just fancier than what most people would allow, and he wants to be called Saucier. I want to be called Saucier. I'm not not gonna hold him back from that. I'm feeling Saucier tonight. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Ew, ew. Oh, okay. Sorry. Was that gross? All right, it grossed me out. He, regardless, he was he was living his best life, being Saucier. And then he got a call about the discovery of a dismembered torso that had washed up on the shore of Bay St. Louis in Mississippi. That'll really make you not be living your best life. It'll put a stop to it. That will sober you up real quick. Oh, yeah. Upon observing the body, the investigators could tell that the killer had attempted to conceal the identity of the victim by cutting tattoos off. On June 9, 2012, more dismembered body parts washed up miles away on the beaches in Pass Christian and Long Beach, Mississippi. Oh, including a head, two calves, and a thigh. Good God. They, that's awful. The forearms, hands, and other thigh were never recovered. Subsequent to finding these body parts, the Hancock County Sheriff's Office received a tip, which was... Jaren's missing persons report. Because what they had to do, especially the first day that they found it, just having a torso, they didn't know, obviously, who this victim was. So they started looking through missing persons reports. And since Jeremy, her boyfriend, had actually reported her missing, because sometimes people don't get reported, um, they were able to look at her pictures and they saw that... She had a belly button ring, no? Yeah, she had a really distinct belly button ring. And then she also had some tattoos in areas where the, the skin, skin had, had been, been cut away. So they were able to match that. Like, for these people that killed her, <laughs> they cut the tattoos out. And they're like, they'll never, you know, they'll never be able to identify her now. I feel like that would be where you would insert a sinister laugh. Laugh like you've never laughed before. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's like, well actually what you did was you cut exactly the same shape, you know, around it. And it's this it's the area. You basically made a skin shaped tattoo. Yeah, exactly. You just it's the same. Like (laughs) you may as well have left the tattoo on there, you dumb bitch. Puzzle pieces. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Surveillance from cameras at Temptations was aired on the news on June 12, 2012, which was about six days after she disappeared. Jaren's loved one's worst fears were confirmed when an expert DNA analyst was able to perform a DNA comparison to the body parts from a buckle swab collected from Jaren's three-year-old daughter. They were also able to recover a pair of Jaren's bikini bottoms, a black bustier, and a black strapless bra from the beach. And they were able to compare the spots on the skin that were removed with Facebook pictures of Jaren's tattoos and her piercings. So, they were able to get that positive ID with all those things combined. Certified pathologist Dr. Paul McGarry conducted the autopsy on the parts of Jaren's body that had been recovered. Dr. Dana Troxclair, an expert forensic pathologist, was asked to review Dr. McGarry's autopsy report to give her expert opinion on the state of the body. A toxicology exam was performed that confirmed drugs were in her system. However, the drugs were not a contributing factor to her death. Dr. Troxclair determined that the cause of death was a stab wound to the chest with a single-edged blade knife that was estimated to be about four and a half inches long. Good God. The knife penetrated through Jaren's sternum, heart, and esophagus tissue. She observed severe bruising all over the body parts, which she stated had to have been inflicted on her prior to death. The placement of the bruising was consistent with her being held down and her fighting for her life. There was evidence of strangulation in the neck area and blunt force trauma was observed on the back of her head behind her ear. Dr. Troxclair said that the dismemberment occurred after Jaron was already deceased and that two kinds of instruments were used, one being a knife and the other being some sort of a saw that was used to cut through bone. The murder weapon and the instruments used for the decapitation and dismemberment were never found. They probably tossed those in the Gulf with her remains. Eventually, the Hancock County Sheriff's Office, Gary Glennon, was the lead investigator for that agency, Got in touch with the Jefferson Parish District Attorney, and the case was handed over to Jefferson Parish and Kenner Police Department with the assistance of the local FBI field office. Detective David Strohmeyer of the Kenner Police Department ended up being the lead investigator on the case. Cadaver dogs were taken to the home and hit on a burn pile in the backyard of the couple's home, which had remnants of what looked like straps of the boots Jaron had been seen wearing that night, a zip tie, and a cell phone battery. A pair of women's underwear and a hand towel was also found buried underneath the burn pile, but unfortunately these items tested negative for Jaren's DNA. The FBI processed Margaret's car, and unfortunately they weren't able to find any DNA evidence to indicate that Jaren had ever been in the vehicle. They did detect what looked like blood with luminol, but the crime lab couldn't confirm it was actually blood, much less Jaren's blood. There was definitely evidence that some cleaning chemicals were used in the vehicle, which could have completely wiped Jaren's DNA. Although the murder and dismemberment occurred in the home, there was no physical evidence in the home at all because everything had been thoroughly cleaned. And they actually said that because, you know, one of those things is like every time something happens like this and then the police get there, they're like, we saw we saw cleaning products or they bought cleaning products and it seemed like the house had just been cleaned. And I mean, we have a lot of cleaning products. Like I've got a lot of shit under the sink. I've got bleach. I've got all kinds of stuff like to clean with. That wouldn't be unusual, but they were saying that the smell of bleach was so strong that you could smell it coming down the road. It was, it was like they soaked their entire house in bleach. It was very, very strong. How do you live in a house like that, though? Because I can barely I would even pass bleach. Out. Yeah. Yeah, when Andrew does the showers, like he uses the, you know, bathroom cleaner or whatever, I feel like it takes my breath away. Like, I can't use it because it's like in an enclosed space. Yeah. And I, I just, I can't breathe. Like, it it's really bad. I don't know. It's too much. A computer forensics expert examined Terry's computer but found that a software program had been used to clear all internet search history between the evening of June 5th, 2012 and the late morning of June 6th, 2012. Hmm. Suspicious? (laughs) Very. Right? Like, It's like literally only the, you know, possibly seven hours that she would have been in the home. What the fuck, dude. Cell phone photos that were taken on May 3rd, 2012 in the area where Jaron's remains were found had been deleted as well, which would suggest that they were trying to maybe delete evidence that they were familiar with that area. Jaron's cell phone records were also examined and showed that she had no cell phone activity after June 6th, 2012 at 1.53 a.m. Her phone was off when she left the club. Her cell phone, other than her battery, was never recovered. So they were super careful and meticulous about how they went about cleaning up the crime, which would seem like it was premeditated. They had all that at least planned out. Several witnesses from that night gave their statements to the police. Michael Welch was the doorman of Temptations Club, and he had witnessed Jaron leaving the club with Terry Speaks and Margaret Sanchez. He said that the manager of the club spoke with him the following day, mentioning Jeremy Foster's concerns about Jaren's whereabouts. Welch had known Terry because Terry rented a house from him previously, and they had been co-workers before. He called Terry that day, June the 6th, to ask if he knew where Jaren was at about 2 in the afternoon. This was really weird, too. Welch said Terry became enraged on the phone and started yelling at him, that she, that he didn't know where she was and he hadn't done nothing to her and he's like well what the fuck dude i didn't say you did something to her i'm just calling to see if you know where she is because we can't find her and you know her too like, like you and you were here last are night. implicating yourself exactly he's <laughs> like i didn't i didn't kill her like nobody said anything <laughs> yeah, happened to I her i didn't think that but now i do things exactly that. now i do Ashley Sussex stated that she was a bartender with Sanchez at a local bar called Treasure Isle Tavern. At about 10.40 a.m. on June 6th, Margaret showed up for her 11 a.m. shift with Terry and a dog. Ashley noticed that Sanchez looked like she hadn't slept and didn't look like her normal self, so she asked if everything was okay, to which Margaret replied she just wasn't feeling well. She also observed that Terry was wearing flip-flops and his feet were like caked in dirt they were beyond disgusting yeah like did they Fred Flintstone their way there (laughs) obviously what happened he's like look the car broke down so I had to to pedal our asses yeah cut out the floorboard (laughs) and give it a go (laughs) um he stayed there in the bar on his laptop for a while but Ashley ended up asking him to leave because dogs are not allowed in the bar yeah I thought that the presence of the dog was a little suspicious like a little weird yeah. yeah why he's like um we're here can i get a pup cup for the dog <sighs> and there was someone else that saw Terry out that night that mentioned he was messed up on something and made some sort of incriminating statement like i really fucked up and i'm going away for a long time but the person thought he was just high on something and didn't really think anything of it mm. I don't know. The couple had a friend named Leanne Anderson that said that they had stayed with her on the night before they were arrested because they said they were going to be kicked out of their home, and that would have been probably June 11th. Leanne went with Margaret to the house to pick up some things, and she noticed that her car was normally really messy, but on that day, it was very clean and smelled like cleaning supplies. She also noticed that the house was normally very messy, but this time, the house was clean, And like we said, it smelled super, super strong of cleaning products. Overwhelmingly like bleach. Several neighbors commented on the case. The majority stated that the couple at the home seemed strange, but they mostly kept to themselves. Another stated on the news that her daughter came home and told her that she witnessed Terry playing with himself by his garbage can. Oh. uh, Yeah, and she wished she had done something about it then. Did you ever watch the TV show You? No. Uh, Torella. The so where the dude's, like, stalking? Yeah. Her? But there's a part where he watches her from across the street, and he's, like, playing with himself while he's doing it. And then a p- person, a woman, comes out of her apartment, and she's like, oh, excuse me. And he, like, helps her to the cab that she's about to get into or whatever, but it's, like, reminiscent of that, where it's like, what are you doing out here? But she didn't, did she see him? She was an old lady. She didn't see him. Oh, okay. Because I was like, that's super awkward. Yeah. Oh, he's like, hang on a second. If you got a few minutes, let me finish up here, and then I'll help you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm almost done. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so gross. One neighbor named Jonathan Krapp said he was walking and saw Speaks around lunchtime on June 6th doing something with a garbage bag in the trunk of the car, and when Terry noticed he was being watched, he looked like he knew he was caught doing something suspicious, and he pulled the bag out of the trunk and brought it back into the house. Kraft could tell that whatever was in the bag was heavy enough for have to use both of his hands and bring his arms up to his chest to carry it. Another neighbor said... He witnessed him putting three to four heavy-looking bags into the trunk and that he could smell the bleach from across the street. So, like, so many people are like, our whole neighborhood smelled like bleach. I'll tell you what, though. If I ever have a situation like that and I smell an overwhelming odor of bleach, your ass is getting the cops called on you because I'm doing it. Like, I'm going to be like, uh... Excuse me, police officers. Somebody Mm -hmm. just got murdered over there. Yeah, exactly. There's too much bleach. Officials of the Tangipahoa Parish Sheriff's Office were asked for their help in locating the couple. And on June 12, 2012, Margaret Sanchez and Terry Speaks were taken into custody in Hammond, Louisiana, by Lieutenant Kim Moore. She followed their vehicle until she pulled them over when Margaret failed to use her blinker while turning. Get you every time, you dumb bitch. Yeah, <laughs> like out of all the things you've just murdered somebody, use your fucking traffic signals. Well, that is a tale as old as time, though, isn't it? I mean, so many Joel Rifkin, yes, because he had like a tail light out or some shit. Yep, he had a tail light out. And then what was? Oh, uh, Israel Keys went two miles over. You better believe they pulled his ass over. Uh yeah, because 2 miles over is still speeding, bitch. You damn right. So, lesson everybody, well, don't murder people. Right. But but please do use your traffic signals. If you find yourself on the lam for whatever reason, safety first, guys. Safety first. Safety first. Around 5 police officers ended up at the scene, and Terry kept giving them false names and social security numbers, which is like, <laughs> okay, if you're going to give them a not right one, Only just do one. Another dumb bitch move. Right. So he's like, he gave them Leslie Allen Rice and Allen Rice. But then he also was giving them, like, different social security numbers. And it's like, okay, well, that's weird. Because you as a person are supposed to only ever have just the one social security number. He could have taken a note from the little rascals in the movie. Like, what's your social security number? And he's like, seven. (laughs) Seven? He's like... Eight? (laughs) (laughs) That actually would have been better. It would have been better. Or you could have just Ted Bundied it and been like, I don't know. Let me slip through a seam in the wall here and I'm just not gonna say. Yeah, exactly. So then he tried to make a run for it. And he claimed that he had a gun and he was gonna shoot, which they think was probably a failed attempt to do suicide by cop because he didn't he didn't actually have a gun on him. So he takes off running and he's like making a break for it. And then he fucking trips and falls. Uh, has he ever seen any horror movies? Exactly. <laughs> and probably the police were just walking behind him like at a steady pace. They were just like, you know, not going to break a sweat. Like Leatherface or Jason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're walking and then he falls down and then boom, he's caught. Mm-hmm. So he didn't make it very far. He was taken into custody without further issue. Margaret was released about two months later, and then Terry was transferred to a prison in North Carolina on unrelated federal charges, which consisted of failure to register as a sex offender and indecent liberties with a child, which was him having sex with underage kids. He claims that he thought that she was 19, but the judge was like, eh Yeah, so Terry Speaks has a really weird history oh yeah he had gotten married pretty young right oh yeah his, like right out of high school yeah his first marriage was right out of high school and they had two children mm-hmm. and then he went into the military oh yeah he went into the military and while he was i guess deployed She said she was really unhappy and she decided to leave and take the kids. And then her family was like super wealthy. So he really didn't have a chance in hell. She made it really difficult for him to see the kids. Yeah. Then he's like all depressed about that, sad about losing his kids. And then he meets this other woman and he said it was like love at first sight. Everything about her was great. He was starting to feel happy again, all this stuff. They get married, they have a kid together Everything seems to be going good, and then he says that he had to move from where they were living in North Carolina to New York for a job, and his wife stayed behind. She didn't want to move, too. Well, I don't know that she didn't want to move, because when they were telling this story in the Snapped episode, they just said that she stayed behind. It was decided that she would stay behind. Well, it later came out that it was because he was prosecuted or whatever like he was found guilty of statutory rape. So like at first when they said she didn't go with him, I was like, "Uh-oh, this is not going to go well because if you're married and one of you moves, it's not going to go well." Well, she ended up filing for divorce while he was in New York, but it turned out like I'm wondering, I'm, I'm thinking that he probably was like, you don't need to come. This is just a temporary job or something like that. Because obviously if she had gone with him, she would know that he was serving time in jail. Like, cause he wasn't going to be at home. So I, I just, I don't know how they made it work at all though. Like they, they made it sound like she had no idea about this and she had no idea about him going to jail at all. But how would they have had communication Well, because anytime you call from a prison or something, there's that automated message before that's like... Yeah, so in 2003, Terry had pleaded guilty in North Carolina to two counts of indecent liberties with a child, and that was for the 14-year-old who he said he thought was 19. It's kind of hard to believe that. Like, if you've got a 17 or 18-year-old... Maybe, but like somebody who's 14 definitely should be still living at home. Like, how are they getting around? They don't have a driver's license. Like, I don't know. I don't see how you could. I know there are some girls that look older. There's some guys that look older, you know, and younger, you know, vice versa. But the lifestyle of a 14 year old is completely like worlds different than the lifestyle of a 19 year old. I just don't understand how you get the two mixed up, but whatever. So, for that, he was sentenced to three years probation. He later ended up breaking the rules of that probation. And he was sentenced to 1,210 days in prison in 2006. In May of 2011, he moved from North Carolina to New York. But he still did not register as a sex offender. So, he never ended up registering and he was supposed to. Because he crossed state lines and... He still did not register as a sex offender. Now he's got a federal charge because he's crossed state lines. So prosecutors picked up the case federally and had a grand jury indict him in February 2012 with that failure to register as a sex offender. So it was then he decided to basically make a run for it. And he went to New Orleans and he started picking up like odd jobs. And that's when he started working in the French Quarter and he became a bouncer for that club that Jaron worked at. So and he was living under different aliases, the Allen Rice, Leslie Allen Rice. So he was basically just on the run so that he could avoid these federal charges. While Terry was serving time now for for the murder charges, there were incriminating emails and phone calls between him and Margaret, and Terry got really angry when he found out that Margaret was trying to move on with another man, and he threatened to tell law enforcement everything. Here is one of his emails to her on July the 5th, 2013. You got me so pissed, I want to tell everything to the people just so you can suffer like me. I did everything to clean up the mess we made, and where's the thanks? You're the one they'll fry and not me. Remember when you went to work and I had to spring clean? Well, I saved some things in case I needed them. In case you went off course. Well, you're off course. I'm not stupid by any means, Margaret, and I think you know that. Or you know you would be in prison. Remember the boots? Remember the panties? Oh, God, this is so gross. Remember the panties with both your juices in them? Oh, no. I cannot believe I just said that. Do you remember what you were wearing? Shall I go on? You can stop this by just being who you said you are, my wife. Next time, I go into more detail. Then on December 7th, 2013, Terry told Margaret in an email, Be honest with your dad and mom and Johnny. Let them know what our relationship was and is about. You're going to let other people tell you what you need to do. Then I'll tell you what I plan to do. I plan on setting the record straight. And then let's see how life turns out. You have till Monday to convince me you're not going to make the mistake of marrying someone else. On May 4th, 2014. So the thing about their marriage too, they had gotten married. They, they met and had this like whirlwind romance. Oh God. And the snapped episode... So they have M. William Phelps, I hate him, yes, I'm he's sorry the wor- he's worse than Jane, oh yeah, I think, oh yeah, he's cornier than she is. She's louder than he is, but he is so corny. He's fucking so And his delivery on stuff. It's just so over he the top. leans forward the way he says stuff, and he's like, you know he he's he talks in headlines too, you know, yes. he's like, this would be a great line. Um, but he was talking about when they met. And so Margaret was a street performer then. I mean, I guess she worked as a bartender as well, but she did like those fire baton, baton. (laughs) (laughs) She did those like fire baton, like twirling acts or whatever on the street. And so I guess Terry was like just walking down the street and it was like close up on his eyes, close up on her eyes, close up on his eyes. They like, M. William Phelps was like, you know, they stood there and stared at each other, and it was like they were the only two people in the world. Oh, I'm my like, god! How do you know this, sir? He doesn't. You don't know this. They, yeah. they never got together and sat down and did an interview about their love story. No. They didn't have a wedding website. But M. William Phelps thinks in, like, juicy articles. That's how he is. Interesting that you use the word juice. I can't help it. (laughs) You're the one who said it first. Uh, Guys, I'm... You should be ashamed. I really am. That is something that I would never, ever say. Like, I'm kind of crass and I'm kind of gross, but, like, there's a lot of words that, like, I really just can't say, and I can't believe I just said that in the context that I said it. But I was reading an email. We all know that you've sang a certain lyric that goes a little something like this. Call me so I can make it juicy for (laughs) you. Don't act like you've never used that word. I may or may not have dropped a load of that lyric before. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So it was just, it was kind of, I don't know. You know how he is, this M. Phelps guy. But um, I hate his face. I'm sorry. I have to say it. His hair, too. His hair is the worst. I want to punch the highlights out of his hair. Yes. I feel like if you guys don't know who he is, what's the name of that show that he hosts? Dark, Dark Minds? I think so. It's so bad. They did a thing on Israel Keys, and it was like, I had, you know, I had read the book before we did the Israel Keys episode, and I also watched some other like documentaries on it and Tori was like oh I found this other one and I was like okay and I started watching it and I was like I cannot even do this like I sat through it I don't know how you did it like that was real dedication because I could not deal with it it was horrible yes um but I feel like if you guys don't know who he is he's like he's on snapped a lot they they use him he's an author yeah he's an author I can't imagine reading anything that he wrote And, um, but if you saw him, like, you would totally know who he is. Yes. But he's so corny. He's so corny. Yes. Um, but they definitely kind of had, like, a whirlwind romance. They got married pretty quick, but they got married by... Like a door guy. Yeah, one of the doormen at one of the clubs. Yeah, which the state of Louisiana did not recognize. Yeah, they they never recognized it. So if you see, like, articles about the case or anything... Some will say like that they were married. Girlfriend. Yeah. And some will refer to them as boyfriend and girlfriend. And her name has always been Martinez. Sanchez. I mean, Sanchez. Crap. And his has always been Speaks. So, it, like, she's never referred to as Margaret Speaks in anything. Mm-mm. So it's just a whole thing. But they basically, like, super fell in love. I think a lot of it was they did a lot of drugs together. Yeah, one of the the men in the Killer Couples episode said that they had, like, three things in common, and it was <laughs> drugs, sex, and alcohol. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, yeah, I remember that kind of struck me, too, because I was like, when I think about, he was like, the their common interest were these three things. And I'm like, okay, when I think about my interests like i'm like um you know podcasts true crime uh marketing i really like reading about marketing but like sex is not something that i consider an interest i don't know like and i feel like an interest is like golf or like a hobby yeah and it's like it's just funny that he said that it's like my favorite things are to do are Sex, drugs, and alcohol. Like, (laughs) it's just uh, funny to think about it that way. So I guess they just, like, were like rabbits. They were just, like, bang central. Hump time all the time. Hump city over there. So (laughs) they were just, like, whirlwind, drugging it up, humping it up all day and all night. (laughs) Okay. Okay and just nookie oh yeah oh just going to nookie town nookie town and um they they said that she kind of brought terry out of his like deep depression and every day with margaret was like this like super fun like they were always doing something crazy kind of thing but also like i thought about that and it's like after after even a month with somebody or, like, two months, like, you can't live every day like, like, wow, we're doing something new and exciting every single day, I feel like, because, like, don't you run out of money? It, it's It would almost be like being on vacation in a new city the way they were talking about it. It's like they're going out and doing all these crazy things every day. And it's like, at some point, you're going to have to have a conversation, like, Hey, will you get eggs when you go to the grocery store? Totally. Like, at some point, it's going to turn domestic and, like, mundane. Yeah. <laughs> and Maybe it, the drugs helped them to feel like every activity was brand new. Oh, that's how you keep a marriage exciting. Drugs. All the drugs, yes. Got it. I've been doing it all wrong. Yeah. Okay. I don't, next item on my list, get drugs. Um. <laughs> Just Google, where do I buy drugs? (laughs) Where do I buy the kind of drugs that makes your marriage exciting? I'm just kidding. I love my marriage. But they did a lot of drugs. But the way they talked about it was just like every day was like a first date. And I'm like, it's sweet to say those words, but how long does that actually last? Well, yeah, because the way they talk about it was just that like nothing... Nothing real ever had to come up with them. And it's like, eventually it's going to. Like, you're going to be like, hey, do you want to go do this? And then one of you is going to be like, well, I can't. I have to work. Like, you can't keep it light always. Yeah, shit's going gonna, shit's gonna to happen. So they got married. It was not recognized by the state of Louisiana. But apparently, like, because of how depressed Terry was, like, you know, he meets Margaret. And she's like this kind of tantalizing person like all these things she had a really bad relationship with her mom which will I guess kind of see the uh effects of that in a little while but um her mom had kicked her out or finally just told her like you can't come around here anymore because she just like was always doing drugs and She couldn't hold a job down, like, all these things, and so her mom just kind of got tired of it. They were definitely not on good terms. And so, in the documentary, it said that once she graduated high school, as soon as she graduated, she packed her bags and went to New Orleans because she had a really big interest in, like, voodoo and black magic and the occult and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, she went there to have, like, all the freedom she wanted, and she started... Dancing, bartending, she was doing these street performances. She was learning like all kinds of crazy stuff. They said she was really good at it. Um, but she was definitely kind of marched to the beat of her own drum. And using her powers for evil and not good. Yeah, bitch move. On May 4th, 2014, Kenner police re arrested Margaret. She was picked up by U.S. Marshals and Kenner police from her father's residence in Metairie, Louisiana. Both Sanchez and Speaks were officially indicted by a grand jury on August 14th, 2014, on charges of second-degree murder, obstruction of justice, and conspiracy to obstruct justice. And Terry Speaks was extradited to the Jefferson Parish Correctional Center in October 2014. So next time, we will get into the trial. And, um, we'll go through basically the Terry's going to testify. I'll just go and tell you that, but, um, we'll get into his stories, which are ever changing and we'll get into kind of his differing stories and all those kind of things. So that will be next week. And until then we will catch you on the flip side. Bye. Bye.